Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flor, and in this show I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their paths and discuss the specific tactics they use to overcome challenges and succeed on their own terms. Today I'll be having a conversation with Eric Friedenson. Eric, also known as F. Dot, is a colorblind visual artist and community builder based in Brooklyn, New York. Since finishing design school in 2012, FDOT has cultivated an art practice and creative studio that spans across a variety of media. His specialties range from hand-painted murals to drawings on paper to animated trading cards, all tied together through his playful abstract style. He has created art for clients such as Nike, USA Skateboarding, Oakley, Chicago Cubs, Tops, and Adobe. During the show, Eric provided tons of real-life insights. He told us about his first steps into freelancing and his journey through the corporate world and back to running his own business. What I love about Eric is that Instead of staying still, waiting for opportunities, he creates them himself. He unveiled a strategy that worked wonders to land his first mural gigs, even without any previous experience. He even shared the specific tactics he used to channel the audience of one of his clients into his online shop and generate 75% of his current revenue. This show will provide you with tons of inspiration and present you with the many venues you can explore with your creativity. Enjoy this conversation with FDOT. Hey, hi Eric, how are you doing today? Thank you for coming on the show. Hey Martina, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Um, how are you doing? Great, I'm so happy that you um, decided to come and that you took the time. I know this is a busy time. I know that you are You know, you live and work in New York. Um, you run a studio called F. Dot Studio. And I do have a lot of questions around, you know, how it is to run a creative studio and um, all the things you do uh, as a creative yourself. But first, before we get into that, I would like to know a little bit more about you and ask you first, What, you know, what was your life growing up? Where did you, um, where were you born and how was your family like? Sure. Yeah, we can go back. Uh, I was born <laughs> just outside of New York City in a place called Westchester. It's just north of the Bronx. Some people like to call it upstate New York, but it's so close that it's mm. like right there. It's not really upstate. Uh, the suburbs. And so I grew up in this little town near New, near New York City and I always wanted to live in the city because I would come here on the weekends and like get in trouble and go skateboarding with my friends and sometimes like miss the last train home. Uh, that was my, my upbringing was like skateboarding and sports and coming to New York and kind of sheltered in this small town. And I had an older brother who was also creative, but a different kind of creative, more like engineering. And my grandmother was an artist, so I was very inspired by her. Mm -hmm. Uh, she would always encourage me to keep creating and give me like drawing books and stuff. Um, yeah. Which kind of art was she doing? She was mostly doing stained glass. Mm -hmm. okay. So uh, mm. she was mostly doing that, but also painting and knitting and weaving and some different, different things. And she, sh she mainly started doing that in her later years, but it was really inspiring to me, even though it wasn't like her main career throughout her life. I just saw that mm. a person can spend their time doing this and spend their life making mm. stuff. And it, I just saw how much joy it brought to everybody who she gave it to. So mm. I wanted that, I think, from an early age, like giving that, giving, giving oh, that gift. And were your parents, did they have anything to do with, um, you know, with creativity or with art in any kind? I think they both grew up with art, being that they're originally from Long Island and lived in the city for a while. So they, they're cultured mm -hmm. people. They like good music. And so, and, and my dad was a musician uh, in when he was younger, not professionally, but he would always play guitar. So I was exposed to good music and good art uh, from pretty young, at least what I thought was good music and good art. And, and the, the yeah. album covers too were really influential, especially with the lettering from the seventies and eighties. And um, yeah, They were not creative for the profession, but they both 
love art and culture and my mom is a teacher so I think there's some of that within mm -hmm. me my dad's in finance so that also helps me out with some things in my my business like literally he helps me out but also he's, ta he's taught me a lot with the business side of things and I wanted to ask you like what, what, were, what are the first steps that you remember as as a kid or as a young uh, teenager um, you know doing your first steps into art or what were, what were the first um, situations that you remember where you started thinking hey there's something here that I'm interested in or there's something here for me I don't know about you but I always loved art class I thought that it was so cool that there was even a class for art because it felt like not difficult it felt like fun compared to all mm -hmm. the other subjects so that was the first time was just going to art class and really not wanting to leave and then one summer I decided to take an art class outside of school I think I was in middle school mm -hmm. so I was probably like 12 years old and just putting extra time into the art outside of school in a more formal way instead of just playing with Legos or something in my room um, that was the first time because I saw that there's somebody here who knows not only is an artist but they're teaching artists how to make art outside of school and then mm -hmm. I learned about photography and took a black and white um, film photography class and just started understanding like how to make images how to make stories and and images within within a medium and then at, like once you get that little bug it, it really gets you hooked because there's just so many different mediums and different subjects that you can explore after you understand kind of how it works and how perception works with art um, that was the when it, that was when it started like when I was around 12 yeah mm. and how did that continue like I wonder if you went to art school and if you how was your creative path or the path that you followed towards developing a certain skill with uh, creating artwork mm -hmm. I definitely didn't fit in in school I was like a outcast mm. skateboarder kind of person I was friends <laughs> with a lot of people but not really in one group I was trying I was mm. kind of hopping around I never really felt like I had a place or like a best friend group I was very like outsider at, at sometimes uh, and I'm sure that's a familiar feeling for a lot of people listening you just you you end up with the circumstances that you have and I'm not saying that I I didn't enjoy my childhood but I just didn't really fit in until I found art and skateboarding and the things that mm -hmm. I love today and it took a while for me to find that people forget that it takes years mm -hmm. to really like get to know yourself and figure out what you like what you don't like I think with, uh, with the way that developed was I just started taking more art classes and trying to work my interests into the projects as much as I could and it's it's funny because after finishing high school I wanted to go to art school but my parents pushed me towards graphic design being more of a marketable skill and something that can solve problems for businesses and I loved it I really didn't expect to love it as much as I did but I studied graphic design mm. and over the years I've slowly been like creeping back towards art fine art and just drawing mm. for the sake of drawing I still use a lot of the design principles that I learned in school but I've also had to like unlearn a lot of things that I learned so that I can create what I do today um, yeah do you have the feeling that the you know having any education in graphic design had an impact on the way you run your business or the way you approach an art project right now or of course yeah everything every step of the journey has an impact on how we conduct mm. the business side of things and how we present ourselves online or in person um, what projects I say yes to because I do things sometimes for the younger artist in me like I'll say I'll do one for that side of me that really craves problem solving and making a difference in mm. my community. So I'll work with a local business as a graphic designer, but I'll do a mural for them. But it's, it's tailored yeah. for them. It's not about me really expressing myself 100%. It's like meeting, meeting them in the middle. And then sometimes I'll do projects where I just really want to experiment with a, a new material or a new type of composition or a character. Um, and I don't really want to solve any kind of business problem. I just want to play. Um, and I think it's important to have a balance of both, yeah. And it seems that also the your studio, your project seems to be like your place to, you know, to carry on any project that you want to carry on, right? Of course, you work for clients, but it seems that there's a lot of room for you to create artwork, right? And and market it in different ways. And I wanted to ask you, like, you, you're running the studio for uh, for many years now. Like, I think 2014 was the the year you opened the studio, yep. right? 
And before that, I remember that we met. <laughs> it's very funny. Can I can I tell the like the background story? We met actually the first time we met. I was at an airport waiting for a flight, and you approached me. It, I think it's my biggest celebrity moment ever, <laughs> <laughs> because you approached me after having met my husband. I think you met my husband at a drugstore or something in the airport, and you saw he was wearing a, a T-shirt with a print of mine, and you went to ask him, like, where did you get that T-shirt? And then finally you realized that he was my husband, and then you came to me. So we've, we actually met at the airport, and later on we met at, uh, at another conference, I guess. But I got to understand a little bit of what, what your creative path was, right? And you were at the time working at a corporation or at a big company, um, sort of doing as well, you know, carrying on creative work. You were, I think you were leading a team that was in charge of um, creating artwork for different locations of that company. Um, and I remember that at, at that time I thought, well, for a corporate job, that's pretty cool. It seems like a very, you know, a really great place where you can, you have a certain creative freedom, uh, you work with a team of creatives, um, and you get to do murals, which is something that seems um, to be something that you're interested in, right? And I wonder, what made you, what made you go freelance? What made you, like, break away from that job and start your own business? What did you feel was missing in that um, a specific container? I think I always wanted to work for myself, mainly for the lifestyle that I want to lead. I want to be able to work when I want to work and not work when I don't want mm -hmm. to work and travel as much or as little as I want to. And that doesn't mean I'm traveling all the time, but I like the spontaneity. I, li I feel like I'm living mm -hmm. when I get to go do something randomly for fun that's impactful, that's meaningful. And it's just hard to do that when you have a big a corporate job because the company's goals come first and the, the schedule is just not flexible. So I always had that on the horizon as I want to get to there where I can pick my clients, I can pick my projects. And it's just slowly, slowly, slowly doing less of the work that I didn't want to do, but I had to do for money mm, yeah. and more and more of the work that I want to do until I was ready to leave that job. Um, just saving up that money so I have a runway, of, you know, six months to a year of, of bills covered so I could leave. But it was always the goal. Um, actually, before I took that job, I was freelancing. My, my journey was like a job for a little while and then freelance for a little while and then a job for a little mm, while yeah. and then freelance. And then sometimes the jobs would last like two or three years and it would take up like a big chunk yeah. of my 20s. But it, it was always like, let's see how that all those skills that I had and how can I bring that into my business? Um, mm. And the jobs kept getting better. And so it became harder and harder to say no to like some of the full-time jobs that I was getting offered and then also the freelance work. But those first few years were really hard, like getting jobs from Craigslist, trying to find work any way I could really, like totally outside of my, uh, my main medium that I wanted to do. I was doing everything, like photography, video, whatever. Like, yeah. So, so right after graphic, uh, so after finishing your uh, education in graphic design, you, you started freelancing or you... you, you um, took a job somewhere. I had what they like to call here uh, permalance. <laughs> you know mm. that permalance? So it's like freelance, but it's permanent, but it's not permanent <laughs> because they can, let, they can let you go yeah. anytime. I, uh, so I had that for a little while at Viacom, at an MTV-owned mm. company um, within Viacom. Then I quit that job a few months later, went to Europe for four months, and then came back and started freelancing. Mm. That was the journey, yeah. But I've always, I think I, I took on okay. freelance work since 2010, as soon as I could get it. Yeah. And I was just doing it outside of classes and stuff. And that was really when my freelance work began, 2010. But then I made it officially a business in 2014. And what, what were, you know, how were those first months, you know, after you left that corporate job and you decided to really give a shot to having your own creative studio and growing a business. Um, what were those first months like? I think going to Europe, I had, I had an internship in Lithuania, totally mm -hmm. random, right? I got mm -hmm. it on Craigslist. I found an internship in Lithuania 
through Craigslist. That's actually a real story. <laughs> and ended up doing it, you know, living there. And I think I needed something different. I've always craved that experience of like living in different places around the world, getting unique experiences, making connections, and then bringing that into the work. So that was really mm -hmm. important for me that while I'm young, get as many of these experiences as I can because that's going to inform how different my style is or how different my, the way that I operate, or the way that I talk to people and build relationships. I really mm -hmm. resonated with certain people that I met over the years, but they weren't all in my city. They were around the world and I needed mm -hmm. those experiences. But when I got back, yeah, it was, it was a struggle to keep it going, like try to balance the setting up of the business, which is a lot of work, people forget, just to get it going mm -hmm. uh, legally and all the different considerations of how you do it in the United States. It, it, it's hard. It's overwhelming. And then starting to try and get clients, you know, it wasn't really working in the beginning. It was just, bare, bare, just yeah. barely getting by, probably spending more money than I was making. But I, ha I wanted it so bad that I would just keep showing up. And that was right when Instagram was starting. So I had a, an outlet where I was getting that instant feedback on, on my work and I could see it improving. So that was really helpful too. I don't know. It was, it was very chaotic, but also really formative and, and fun too. How were, like, I wonder what were the first, you know, what were the first assignments where you started seeing results? Like thinking like, hey, I, I can totally live from this. And also like, what were your, you know, those first tactics that you used that seem to work in terms of getting client assignments i i while doing the research for this episode i was um i was watching a video of yours where you spoke i think you spoke about certain tact tactics that you use to get um mural assignments right it, within brooklyn or within your city so you can take it any in any direction not specifically to, with mural uh, assignments but what are the things that you feel that you or you, you implemented in the very beginning that you feel worked very well in terms of getting assignments? I think through working at agencies at that time, I was mm. like, you know, full-time job, freelance, full-time job, freelance. And sometimes it was an agency and sometimes it was a brand. And when I was at the agencies, I learned that you have to show the client what you can do before you do it so that they know what you're capable of. So mock-ups became a really powerful way for me to show people what I could mm. do with, with murals or with products or packaging, whatever I wanted to make. And, and, and at that time, it was a lot of murals. So I would go walk around the city finding walls that I wanted to paint, just photograph the blank walls, and then use Photoshop or Procreate to mock up my murals. And then I would literally just walk into the business. I would show them what I made and see how they react. And I did that. 50 to 100 times until until people that. started saying yes. And I didn't always have a custom mock-up for them, but I had my work and I had a wall in mind. And, and sometimes it would take years for them to come back to me, but a lot of them ended up coming back. So the mock-up mm -hmm. was really powerful. And then what else? Um, oh, my, my first couple projects that I had that made me feel comfortable keeping moving on, on this path uh, were local restaurants. So first was a cafe. Mm -hmm. I did a, a chalk menu board and some artwork around the cafe. It was like coffee themed, so it was right up my alley. And I got to hand paint it and, and hand draw it, which was the first time someone really asked me to do that. All my previous freelance work was, was digital or, or yeah. logo design or whatever. Um, so this was my first time like hand lettering, hand painting for a client. And then the next project, that, that was not very big budget. The next project I got was my first big project, big uh, budget project, like $10,000, first, first time getting that. Mm. And it was a restaurant branding, menu board, signage, everything. They wanted everything. And it took four months. So $10,000 for four months, you know, I learned that that's not adequate. Um, and I was very inexperienced at the time, but it was, it was, it was a great mm. first big client project and I liked that it was local there were both of those restaurants were within like four blocks of my apartment so I could walk around and yeah. see people going in and interacting with the work and stuff yeah I always like to make the note or the side note whenever we speak about um, budget budgets and money uh, because we have listeners the from world, yeah. a lot of different places in the world and uh, just to make a note that um, Eric is living in New York and like the the cost of living is uh, really high and uh, 
for sure um perhaps ten thousand dollars go into like four months of rent or you know go to pay two or three months of rent or something like this um so yeah so that to have into account um the other thing that i wanted to pick up on what you said before which i think is so important um which is this you know sometimes i hear a lot of creatives or newcomers into freelancing that are very focused on kind of um, growing their social media um, following and I think that you know what 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 you just mentioned is a good reminder of how much you know getting that direct connection with someone like just literally walking around your neighborhood and talking to people and you know reaching out directly to the people you want to work with and for um, can have a real impact into getting those assignments, right? So Yeah, it's much much more personal um, that way too. I would actually think about my grandmother a lot because she would walk around with this book of photographs of her work and she would show everybody in her city and that's how she would get work. She would just show people and talk about it like, you know, because she didn't have social media when she started. So I think about her a lot and how she was able to get it done and get her clients and a lot of the things still work. It's just, you know, our culture moves faster online, but it doesn't move as deeply all the time. Like the yeah. conversations just aren't as deep as the ones you can have in person. And that really builds trust, which helps you get clients. So it's important. Totally. And I think also that, you know, at the end of the day, people like to work with people and they really want to get to know you first and see if you, you know, you're a nice person to work with um, other than, you know, the creative skills that you can, you may have to, to create a certain thing for them. Um, I wanted to touch shortly on, you know, you have been, you know, you have been working in New York for years now. You lived in different places um, around the world. You, you mentioned Lithuania. I know that you live in Argentina for a while. Um, so through some of your different jobs and also some of some of the experiences you um you created for yourself you traveled the world and you lived in different places right and you relocated to new york uh, some years ago in 2014 was the year that you relocated to new york or it was before 2014 is when i came back from lithuania and then i left in 2016 to go to buenos aires and then i got back in 2019 mm. Yeah. Got you. And I found out that you went through a pretty tough experience, um, which inspired a project of yours called Optimus. And I would love for you to t tell us a little bit what happened there. That was in 2014 as well, like right before I started pursuing my business seriously, like as a legitimate business. Uh, I was really in a season of just working hard. And in the winter in New York, it gets really quiet. So that's when we do our best work is we shut off the world and we just go to go to work in the <laughs> corner. I didn't have a studio back then, so it was just the corner of my apartment. Um, I was doing some lettering, I think, for a, a tattoo shop at the time. And it was just a regular mm -hmm. Friday morning. And all of a sudden, I started to smell something bad in my apartment, like smoke. And I realized it wasn't coming from my apartment, but from outside my apartment and that the whole building was starting to go up on fire. So I very quickly realized what was happening, ran outside the building, like saved my own life. A couple of the windows had just shattered. So I was very scared and I didn't really have time to like grab everything. And so I just ran outside the building. I, I kind of was hoping for the best because the fire was outside, not in my apartment, that it was just going to be small damages. But unfortunately it took 95% of what we owned. And I was living with, with a, a girl back then, like a previous girlfriend. So we lost everything and it was a really difficult time to just restart. But we also realized that we were insanely lucky because we were healthy and it was just things, stuff, right? And yeah. even though I had to restart with my art in a lot of ways, because I was working a lot of analog back then, um, it felt like a clean slate. Too. And, and one of the things yeah. that we found out of that 5% of things that were not, you know, totally destroyed was this drawing that I made. And it was, it's an optimist. 
and I had been drawing it like the week before the fire, just randomly, uh, thinking about how I am an optimist and how I can get through difficult things. And, you know, I, I want that to be part of my identity. And then after the fire, after I found that drawing, I was like, wow, now this is, this is my identity. Now I want this to be my like guiding star of like, I can't believe this made it out of the fire. Now it's my job to spread this message and this story. And like, I had already written the story in my head. I was like, I'm going to be fine. This is going to, this is going to inspire everything going forward. I'm just going to cling to this message and to creativity because it, it, that's what made it out of the fire. And that I still hold on to that as like my main driver, like to spread that optimistic message of like, it's going to be okay. Even if you're going through some shit right now, um, art is, is such a, has such a healing power and like brings people together. Um, so that project led on to be a whole line of merch and then an art show that I did called the optimist art show, uh, some murals. And now it's kind of slowly baking its way into everything I do, but I never, I never developed like a full brand from it. It was just always a, a small side project. Yeah. And what, what are the things you, you feel you, you lost in this fire? Like what are the things you miss the most or is it, do you feel that this experience was like completely positive in the sense of like it gave you a sense of, you know, um, a sense of optimism, of course, but at the same time, it made you realize, hey, well, I mean, we have, uh, you know, everything could go to hell in just 10 minutes, right? So um, I just wonder what, what was the, the, the impact of that uh, fire in your life and in your business and in your work as well? Well, the damage was, was pretty significant in terms of like the loss. So we had to replace a lot of things, a lot of things we didn't want to replace. You know, we realized we don't, maybe we don't mm. need to have a TV in our apartment. We mm. can just yeah. go on without that. Uh, so some things we didn't replace and that was, that was a good thing. But in terms of things we lost, it was hard to lose, you know, the, the equipment that I invested in camera, computer, you know, I lost a lot of personal artwork. I lost artwork made by my grandmother. That was irreplaceable. Mm. Unfortunately, we lost mm. one pet as well. We lost a cat. That's mm. like really irreplaceable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything else was mainly clothing and, and stuff that was replaceable. But mentally, I think I felt very, very like vulnerable and, and, and like not, I felt bare. You know, I didn't have my, my things that, mm help me identify who I am. I didn't have my, my clothes, my shoes. I walked out of the building without shoes on. Like I didn't even have my shoes. Mm -hmm. So it was, I just felt very naked without having all that stuff. And it was a, both a positive and a negative. Like you said, it, I, I could see it as like a brand new beginning or I could see it as a huge loss. And I always tried to move, look forward to how this, how could this be a new beginning? But there were a lot of painful moments as well. And um, losing the cat was probably the hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. And I want to move on to, you know, what you're working on right now. And, you know, I have been following your creative journey for a while. And I've noticed that it's interesting because you mentioned that you started as a graphic designer, kind of working for clients and giving service to clients and kind of meeting in the middle between what you wanted to do or self-expression and uh, solving a problem, right? And I have seen that in the last years you have gone a lot more into your own personal work. If I look at your work, I don't know, five years ago, you were much more into lettering and design. And right now when I go onto your website or I look through your Instagram feed, I can see you know, that you have expanded into and you have go deep, uh, uh, gone deep into your own personal um, artistic style, right? With, with this uh, kind of, you know, before this, this abstract illustrations that you, that are typical you, um, were more like a side thing that you would do among a lot of other things. And now it seems to be the core of your business and your creative output. And I wanted to ask you, how do you feel, what, how, why did you decide to follow down this path? Because, you know, sometimes something that is so, um, so niche or so, in a way, so personal can also become, or I would say that a lot of people tend to think that the more niche you go or the more personal you go, you might also fall out of the 
market, right? So I wonder what was the impact of going deeper into your own style in your own business and your own um, development as an artist? Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't been blessed with some amazing creative directors in the past at my at my jobs that saw something in me. So while I was doing these doodles mm -hmm. and these illustrations on the side of my design work where I told myself my main strength was lettering and that was why I got hired. Mm -hmm. Obviously they hired me mm -hmm. for more than just my lettering, like hopefully the problem solving skills, the, um, all the different things that you need to have to be good at like a mm -hmm. corporation. Um, but I told myself lettering is my thing because you needed to have a niche and that was the advice back then and lettering was my jam. What I learned, what I liked so much about lettering was balance, was finding that balance of positive and negative and communication through the form of the letters. So you write, you letter a word and you give it personality, right, to, to, while, while balancing the forms. And I wanted to keep doing that. I just love that process. That's very meditative for me. And it's where I feel mm. like the most flow is where I'm just refining or sketching and kind of sculpting forms and lines. Yeah. But I got tired, I think, after a while of doing messages with letters. I just wanted to communicate feelings more that I couldn't express with words. And I wanted mm. to have a character very, very specifically. I wanted to have a signature character because uh, the character can express a lot of things with just a simple mm. pose or... Um, the background that it happens to be in is it can say a lot without having having to write any words. So there was that inflection point where I think I got a little bit bored with with coming up with the phrases all the time, and I still wanted to do that balancing positive and negative. Uh, a lot of my letters felt like very blobby and organic, so that same style just carried into the illustration work, and then got more and more abstract over time and, and in terms of how I feel about it I'm, I feel very lucky that people that there's enough people that understand my language <laughs> and encourage me yeah. to keep doing that and um, that it's become sort of a signature style that people come to me for um, I'm grateful for all of that but I, I'm also like how long I'm also at any moment I'm like this could all go away you know my, my style yeah. could become either easily replicable or uh, out of out of style, you know, in, in the coming years, and I don't want to get too far into it. So I always keep a, a balance. It's not all one thing. I like to. So I'm doing portraits and stuff now too. It's like a lot of different stuff that I do. Hmm. Um, but that's my main, yeah, thing that I'm known for now. And you have expanded also. I mean, you have gone deeper into your style, and you have developed your style and expanded your style um, with this you know with this um, kind of abstract illustrations that you do that I love and we are going to put a link to uh, Eric's website on on the show notes so that if you don't, don't know his work you can get to know um, what he does and the illustrations we're speaking about um, but you have also expanded your business into several income streams right so you don't only create work for clients you also have your online shop I would love to know a little bit more about all of the income streams you, you have in your business and also what are, you know, in which stage of that process you are right now. Because you now looking back at my, at my own journey, I feel that in the very beginning, it was a lot more about expanding those income streams and kind of realizing where I feel that I have the most impact. Um, or where I feel that I feel more comfortable with, uh, I don't know, having an online shop or working for clients or having my online classes. Um, and now I'm more in the process of like focusing on some of them and not all of them at the same time. So I wonder first, what are those income streams for you? And also in which stage of that process are you right now? Are you just shutting down some of them? Are you still expanding yeah good question I, I don't get too fixed from year to year about what i'm doing I, I like to have a flexible roadmap or a plan of i'm not sure where i'm going to be in the next five years i want to see what opportunities come my way and i have some dream projects that i want to do but i also like when when things fall in my inbox and i can say well that's a cool idea what if we did that this instead but with this client that naturally wants to work with me. So I don't always know whether 
the first quarter or the second. We're going into the second quarter of the year now. So I don't know if the second quarter is going to be full of client work. I have a couple projects mm -hmm. that I'm working on right now, but June is a little bit more open. I might do a fine art collection. I might do a client if it comes my way. So it's very flexible. But the different income streams that I focus on started with uh, client work, then started teaching through workshops in person and on Skillshare. I've more or less stopped doing the workshops, but I still have my Skillshare classes. So that's like mm -hmm. recurring income. Um, I mentioned client work. And then, the, yeah, the shop is my other place. And I really grew that over the last three years or so as I had one client project that was heavily in the physical like cards and collectibles realm. I was making these mm -hmm. baseball cards for tops. And so I would buy my own work from them and then I would do like editions of them signing and numbering some of the art um, and then selling them in my shop. And, and then as I had people coming there for those products or those collectibles, I would put fine art up there. I would put screen prints. I would put apparel and, and just see what resonates. So my shop became my main source of revenue over the pandemic. A lot of my client work disappeared with the pandemic, but my shop really grew and became, I think, 75% of my income, 60% of my income, something like that. Wow. Um, it was a, a big, like, hot streak during that project where a lot of collectors and people found out about my work all at the same time through, through that mm. baseball card project. But a lot of them were art people, too. They weren't just sports collect collectors. So that gave me like a, a base of people that I can almost treat like a Patreon where if I release and I had a Patreon for a little while, ended up retiring it. Uh, it was just too much work for how many people that were in there. But mm. my main uh, income these days has switched to the digital side of things where now I'm, I'm kind of deep in the crypto land now and I'm selling my work as NFTs, which is much more nimble, I think, than selling it as collectible cards. And I still try to blend the physical and the digital, but it's not in my shop as much as it's on these NFT platforms now. I'm really curious to hear your opinion on it because I, um, I haven't seen you getting into it too much yet, but it's still really early and new. Yeah. So many questions that I have here. First, I want to um, um, go a little bit deeper into the, the project that you did with tops with this collectible with the collect the cards the, yeah these cards that you can collect right so how did that start like um you you made a collaboration with them they approach you you like to collect these cards how, how did that start and and yeah and how did it expand it into having this kind of um you know these followers that got to know your work did it did they come through tops um yeah how did that work just mm -hmm. to get an idea an idea of how like a small project like that one like creating which is as i understand creating these custom cards can become 75 percent of your income um through your online shop this is amazing yeah there, there was also the the pay the work i was getting paid to do through tops so there was the money from the client project which was like a retainer client for two years Mm -hmm. And then there was the additional revenue from the shop. So I tried to m not really maximize it. I hate that word because then it's like there's no humanity left if you're just maximizing everything. Uh, but I tried to use the moment while I could and, and funnel the mm -hmm. attention from tops and bring them into my universe, get them on my email newsletter and think of creative ways to, to entice people to do that. Because I, I know I have good stuff. It's just a matter of people seeing it. And it's hard to get attention on your work. So anything, anytime that you can play up an opportunity, another, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go on too many tangents. Let me tell you about tops. So um, I, used, I used to collect these cards as a kid. I grew up across the street or my school was across the street from a card shop. And I would go with my brother and collect these baseball cards and Pokemon cards and magic cards and whatever. But for maybe 15 years, I didn't think about it at all. And then I got an email from tops at the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic. And hmm. they were reaching out to 20 different artists, creating this really beautiful project called Project 2020. And it was 20 artists and 20 rookie cards from their archive. And the, the idea was each artist would remix the card in their style. I don't know how they started following me, but apparently someone from Tops was just following me on social media. You know how it goes. They're like, thinking about you, but maybe it's not the right time to hire you yet. And for you listening, there's definitely some people following you who want to hire you 
but they're just waiting for the right project. That's the thing is like, it takes years for the right project to come sometimes. Um, yeah. So that was how it started. They just emailed me and 19 other artists. And the reason that it, it got so crazy with the demand for it was the model that they used to distribute the cards. It was 48 hours only for each card. So you can buy as many as you want within 48 hours from their website for $20 each and they're like premium cards they're not like the kind of thing where you open up a pack it's like it comes in a case already sticker it up and everything very official holographic on the back so it's it's just like a premium fancy version of a baseball card um but after that 48 hour window is over they would end up on ebay and they would end up everywhere and people were started going crazy about them because they didn't know how it worked. Like, where are these cards coming from? They're so cool and they're so different. It hadn't really been done before, like mixing modern artists with this 70-year-old medium uh, of baseball cards. So that just got a lot of people interested. A lot of people were like looking for something to do during the pandemic and going back through their storage, finding their old collections. And this became something for a lot of people, a lot of sports fans, especially while there weren't games happening even. There weren't live sports. This gave them something to focus on and the stats of like how many cards did this artist sell versus that artist. It's like the artists almost became like the athletes for a little while. They were yeah. amazing. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And so just working with tops and getting the respect of their audience gave me a lot of attention and um, res respect. I'm yeah. just curious. How, how did you channel those those, um, you know, their audience into your newsletter or into your uh, shop yeah so in the beginning of the project I saw some of the artists starting to autograph their cards and sell them on their shop and mm -hmm. I asked tops hey can we do this can we just buy the cards and then resell them with with the signature on them and they said yeah go for it so I, I, I learned mm -hmm. a lot about the market like the specific card market and how to price it how to do the additions and stuff and um, so when that was very early, there was kind of a frenzy around buying those. And some people were buying them to try to resell them for more money, of course. And that was interesting. Like I'd never seen my work go up and down in value before on the secondary market. But through that project, I kind of got used to it. Like, okay, on eBay, it was $20. And then the next week it was $40. And then the next week it was $100. And then it's back down to $20. Who knows? And that emotional roller coaster is something I just, I stopped getting so emotional about it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think in that beginning part where er, er, it was brand new and it was, it was hot. I just sold a lot of inventory. I bought and sold a lot of inventory and tried not to overreach, like buy 1000 of one card. Like I would buy like a few hundred max and then I would try to sell through them. And I don't know, like when you're marketing your work, how do you get people's attention? It's like, attract their attention with one thing and then keep their attention with something else that has more substance. So I was always telling stories yeah. around the cards. Like how, why did I design the card this way? And you can only get that story on my email newsletter, like the deep, the full story. Or I would say early access for the autographed cards for people who are in my newsletter or in my Patreon. And that Patreon was short, was relatively short lived, but I kept my process very like lengthy and documented but I kept it exclusive for the people who were actually buying stuff and supporting me and subscribing on the newsletter. I love that because in a way you were really optimizing this relationship with this client or this opportunity, right? So it's also, you know, being, you know, keeping your eyes open towards what are the th other things you can do out of a project, right? Because you could have said, okay, I just do this client project. They take care of the marketing. They just sell the cards and, that's it. We are done. Right. Uh, but it was, a, I think, a great idea that you sort of optimize that opportunity. Um, so I wanted to ask you. Oh, I, I have, I have, I have one more thing actually I want to say on tops. So yeah. another way that I took advantage of this um, opportunity and like extended it was I created some personal work that was inspired by the cards. So in, instead of drawing mm. a baseball player, I drew like my blob character. I have one right here. I'll show you. Um, yeah. Um, Instead of trying to make it look realistic like a person, I would draw like my character. And yeah, each one it. of these is like a companion for the
the official card, but I can do this as much as I want because it's my personal work and I'm not using any logos or anything. I, I can write New York, I can write things, but I, there's no Yankees logo. So that was a way for me to just extend that interest of like, oh, you like this? How about this? And then slowly, and then one thing I hear a lot from artists is, oh, I don't want to invest in the inventory. So just do mm -hmm. like five, buy five, five sweatshirts yeah. and, or posters or whatever and start really, really small. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. And that's what I did, just start really small and then sometimes you learn like, okay, maybe that was too many to buy and then next time you just, you take the loss, keep going. Totally. And also, like, uh, going back to what you said in the beginning about this, these cards, that they were online just for 48 hours just to create a scarcity, mm -hmm. you know, just learning from these experiences and how you can implement them in your own shop. So perhaps, you know, having 50 sells less than having just five. And then once these five are gone, they are gone, right? So um, kind of use those uh, strategies that huge companies use to sell their products into your own small online shop. So there are so many questions that are going to be left for another episode with you, Eric, today. But uh, before we wrap up the, the episode, I want to ask you, you know, if you could name two things, two or three things, um, whatever you want, um, what are some of the experiences that, you know, and decisions, I would say, that um, have helped you further your career as an artist. What are some of the things that perhaps are not the most obvious ones that, it, like we mentioned before, like perhaps doubling down in your own style instead of trying to do something that is, quote unquote, um, commercial. Um, what are the things that really help you expand your work but also your business as an artist i'll start with a, a businessy one and then i'll end with something more like heartwarming <laughs> and, and uh yeah and soft so the i guess from a business side i've learned to enjoy being wrong so mm. i make guesses or hypothesis about how something could go with a new project or a new launch in my shop and when i'm wrong I don't see it as a failure. I see it as an opportunity to learn and keep testing. And um, sometimes when I'm wrong, I, I just laugh, you know, instead of getting mad at myself. I, I try to enjoy it and say, you know what? Well, that didn't go how I wanted it to go. <laughs> so I think the sooner we can learn to study the behavior of not the, the, the mm -hmm. business, the audience, like all the different parts of it, how this works, studying it like mm -hmm. a scientist ra rather than... Mm -hmm. Uh, just emotionally attaching to everything, the art, mm. the sales, the audience side, whatever. Like you want to study it as it, it is like, it's a psychology experiment, right? How yeah. ideally, right. You just want to move through the world and be yourself and get paid to be yourself, but it's not that easy when everyone's trying to do mm. it, it feels. So, uh, studying the business side, like a scientist is, is a good takeaway. And then from an artist side, I would say that the traveling part was really important for me. And uh, mm. I'm, I almost didn't do some of those things. Like I almost didn't go live in South America because I thought it would be yeah. maybe distracting or I, I just didn't, I knew that the clients were here in, in New York for, for the most part. So why would I, but some things don't make sense. And I think trying not to make sense of everything uh, in your artistic journey, like Follow that. Follow your intuition. It's it's so much a part of how you move through the world as an artist. Is you get to do things differently the way you want to do them, but you have to listen to yourself, and and not um, do things just the way that they have always been done. So, I think listening to that inner voice as an artist, uh, you are different. You will do things different, and the more different that you can do it, like the more interesting, right? Like why. I don't know. I've learned my capacity for risk is something that I want to keep pushing and exploring because it, it's just so easy mm -hmm. to fall into that. I'm not taking any risks anymore. I'm doing the safe thing. So yeah. listening to that inner voice, keep taking risks as an artist. Yeah. And keep, keep, keeping it interesting for yourself, right? Because that's, that's the main motto of your business and your art, right? Before we wrap up the conversation, I like to play a game. I played this game with a couple of people that were on the podcast already. 
um, the game is called Finish the Sentence. And I basically start the sentence and you complete it. Okay, let's, let's do Are it. Are you let's up it. for it? <laughs> okay. So, I could never get bored of... Skateboarding. I'm always chosen first when it comes to... Chosen first. Um, cleaning. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed by the fact that I know so little about... Sports. Most sports. <laughs> My friends always laugh at me because... Um, because I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> I, c I, 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 I can uh, witness yeah. that. I witnessed that today. A few minutes. So right now is the perfect time to... To chill. Mm. I'm extremely good at... Reading minds. I'm terrible at dancing. And the last one, if I were to start again, I would definitely be a scientist. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Eric, for being on the podcast today. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. That's F dot with an E, E-F-D-O-T. And on Twitter, it's F dot studio. Uh, my website's f.studio.com, has all the rest of my links up there. Yeah. Great. I will add all of this to our show notes so that listeners can find you. Thank you so much again for being today. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. See you on the next episode of Open Studio. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martinoflor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast, where you can see previous episodes, find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye.